Hello and welcome back to the In The Can Podcast. As always, I'm Devin and I'm with... Tom. And James. And this week we are going to be talking about composers and score and a little bit about soundtrack, but we'll save most soundtrack talk for later. Uh, first off, is there anyone that we should start with? I think there's a big musical elephant in the room. That everyone knows a theme song by the guy. That being John Williams. Yeah. yeah. There's very little question that we cannot do anything about composers and score without talking about John Williams. So, right now, let's just, you know, bow down to the power of uh, John Williams <laughs> and kind of start with him as the, the first composer. So, when I say John Williams, what scores do you all think of? Instantly Star Wars. Yeah, that's that's kind of the big one right now. Okay. Uh, Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones, E.T., Jaws, Jaws, Fiddler on the Roof. I'm trying to remember, did AI actually help? AI, yes. Amistad. Uh, the the um, uh, Harry Potter films. Uh, Far and Away, the original Superman. Catch me if you can. We aren't even getting close to the saving private Ryan the depth of this man's. Yeah, he also he also did um, Superman. <laughs> yeah, like I said, the original Superman. Yeah, the original Superman theme was him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minority Report. Minority Report is the one that I immediately go to, and it's a weird one, but I love the the spider theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I could say it. Memoirs of a Geisha, uh, Warhorse, Lincoln, Tintin, Book Thief, BFG. Alone, home alone, uh, yeah. patriots. The man's been everywhere yeah. in every. Didn't he also do Saving Private Ryan? Yes. Yeah. He's been if everywhere in any sort of. Spielberg. If it's a Spielberg movie, it's probably John Williams. Uh, if it's a movie that you know the theme before you know the movie, it's probably, probably John, John Williams. <laughs> man's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, yeah. The man's great about getting. He did Midway yep. in nineteen. The first Midway, yes. A catchy, a catchy tune that sticks in your head. Towering Inferno. Yeah. The Long Goodbye. He's been in every genre, every type. He has composed 158 scores. Yes, my God. Mm-hmm. There's been a There's been a movie that you've seen that that you remember the theme because of him. Yeah, not to mention the fact that he's also worked in the music department for 256 projects and worked on the soundtrack for 400 films, but, or 400 different soundtracks rather. But I will say, for all that I remember, themes by John Williams. A lot of the other stuff in those movies kind of passed me by. There's a couple things that I can kind of remember vividly, specifically specifically with Star Wars when Luke's looking at the, the twin sunset. Mm-hmm. I can remember that theme. It's pretty sure that's Luke's theme. Yeah, like I can remember that. But aside from that, I really can't remember too many other bits of music aside from the big ones. To me, I... I recognize all of the music, and once anyone plays some of a John Williams score, I get it. Oh, yeah. I, I recognize that's him. Mm-hmm. But it's not like the big themes, obvious, everyone knows the big themes. But yeah, the rest of the movies, if it's a John Williams movie, there is music going through the entire movie. There's no question there's going to be movie or music when usually you don't even notice it. But it's there's music through the entire film. But that's the thing. Yeah. That I don't. It doesn't stand out, which, to be fair, is more or less its purpose. Yeah. Yeah. It, it enhances. It doesn't, it's not the player. Absolutely. And everything that you hear, at least when it comes to, say, like Star Wars or any major multi film piece that he's worked on, that's as sweeping as that, he has. He usually has like a theme for one of the characters at least. Yeah, light motifs. Yeah, something that you're constantly. He's driving home this idea with the sound that you're hearing constantly when something is on screen, whether you realize it or not. Like I said, light motifs. Everyone has their own light motif, and mm-hmm. a lot of the bigger stuff will be arrangements of either a single light motif or multiple ones, kind of weaving. It's like, oh, these are the important characters for this scene because oh, can't you hear that? Oh. That flute that's specifically about this person that's associated with this person. Oh, hey, I'm hearing that flute. Must be about blank. Well, they must be coming up shortly. Binary sunsets, one you always hear when you see Tatooine. So, I mean. Yeah, that's very. Yeah. 
That's where John Williams does he's a master. perfect yeah. job. He is the There's a reason he's been nominated for 51 Academy Awards. <laughs> yeah. Second highest of all time behind a producer uh, in Walt Disney. So, Wow. Yeah. That is. And, and you he's, know what? He deserves every single one yeah. of them. He's won five Academy Awards for Best Score, Best Composing, and he's been nominated for 51 Academy Awards. So, All yeah. in... Score or composing. Mm-hmm. And Almost every single year he's nominated. Sometimes two or three times. Yeah. And you know what? It's hard It's hard to fault mm-hmm. that because the man does great work. He's also been around forever and a day. Uh, it's getting up there. Yeah. The American Film Institute has decided that Star Wars is the greatest American film score of all time. Um, along with the longer Library of Congress that has entered Star Wars soundtrack into the National Recording Registry for being cultural, cultural, historically, and aesthetically significant of our time. So, okay, it's hit a point where he's become the Mozart or Beethoven of our time. Of film scores. Yeah. Of so, film scores. Yeah. Of film yeah. scores, yeah. Which is incredible to think of, to have reached that level. Yeah. I mean, he's also 87, so he's getting up there. Yeah. And that's a good time to Pivot away from the kingpin of King, go, the get, kingpin of composers. Get away from Granddad. Is there any other composers that we wish to talk about? I have plenty. Yeah, oh, I mean, I, I'm pretty enough. sure we all but kind of do. the The big thing is the fact that because because music is so subjective, so varied, you find that there's a lot of composers that tend to specialize in fields. I guess is the best way to phrase it. Yeah. Not necessarily genres, because it's all kind of the instrumental, almost classical sense, but there's also fields in those. Yeah. And the one that I can think of, one that I can think of that fits very much the whole grandiose thing that, and leitmotifs that Williams did, is Howard Shore, specifically with the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's very much that same, everybody's got a, everybody's got a theme. Every place has its own theme, and just it all kind of blends together in its own way. Absolutely, he does an amazing job uh, with the again that whole background feel where it's not overpowering of what you're seeing or what's happening on the screen. The main point of what you're seeing, yeah, like the big one. One of the big ones that always comes to mind with Lord of the Rings is you hear a flute, you think the Shire. Mm-hmm. That's like you hear that you hear that opening trills trill notes on the flute. Mm-hmm. We're in the Shire. We're gonna have a nice peaceful time. It's gonna be a happy day. But then you've got like the brass for the orcs and that kind of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. brass for the whole for Gondor. Was, that, bra- was it brass for Gondor? Yeah. Okay. Da, 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 da. That was it. I apologize. Yes, yeah. you're right. But yeah, it's like every every place has its own theme, its own instruments. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And he's worked on, besides Lord of the Rings, he also did all the Hobbit movies as well. Um, he did The Departed, didn't he? He did The Departed, The Aviator, Silence of the Lambs, The Fly, Hugo. Uh, Hugo. Uh, That's a movie. Yeah. Twilight Eclipse. Yes, Twilight Eclipse. Okay. You, you know what? I'll just say the music isn't the worst part of those movies. And that's it. The Oscar use of music is okay. <laughs> that's true. That's not the worst. Debussy. I don't know. He also did Gangs of New York as well. Yeah, he works with Scorsese quite a bit. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the man is, again, when it comes to sweeping themes, when it comes to um, trying to depict a specific feel with what you're seeing on the screen, he does a very good job of emoting that through music. I will definitely say his his opus, at least to me, is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, oh yeah. Like oh, he sure. went he went all out and just he like, nailed every bit of it. Just like Williams, you know the you know the themes and the score from uh Lord of the Rings and Hobbit when you hear it. Mm-hmm. It's very iconic now. I will I will Absolutely. definitely say I have an easier time picking out Shores, just the Lord of the Rings in general, than I do any of Williams. Like I'll hear a bit, and it's like, oh, you're you're there, but it's like, which movie? It's like I'll yeah. I can pick that. If it's up not a lot. the main theme, yeah, it, you know it's John Williams, but you don't know which movie. So who's who's still in that kind of vein of like that old, like the old procession of the big classical stuff? 
Well, I mean, you have uh, Michael Giacchino. Yeah, I would say Michael Giacchino. Or Giacchino, yeah. I mean, he's he's the new Williams. Yeah, he's the protege. Yeah. Okay, and what, what are the big things he's done? I mean, uh, probably the most recent thing that everybody would know him from most easily is Rogue One. Hmm. I mean... I can honestly say I don't remember too much of the music from Rogue One. It's very much just another uh, Star Wars. Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you want Giacchino, however you pronounce his name... Star Trek The Remake is uh, one of also his biggest ones as well. You've got Jojo Rabbit, just came out, Far From Home. Uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. Jurassic World, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Coco, Zootopia, uh, Doctor Strange was his work, uh, Star Trek Beyond, Star Trek Into Darkness, Inside Out, Jupiter Ascending, Tomorrowland, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, War for Planet of the Apes. I won't lie, I'm a good majority of those, I just haven't seen. Yeah. But even the ones I have seen... Again, I don't remember like Zootopia. I don't remember the the score, but I do remember the Shakira songs. John Carter, Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. He does a lot with Pixar, so yeah. Cars, Toy Story, a lot of their a lot of those. Those are Giacchino. Let Me In was him. If you remember anything from Let Me In, nope. Yeah. He was uh, also the composer for Lost. Yeah, that's the big one that I, I watched that one for. I definitely recognize him for Lost. Uh, we're talking about one that you could tell who's on screen or that. That's for sure, one hundred percent. But yeah, he does a lot. Like he did Up. He did. Uh, you know, every, if you something coming out of Pixar, most likely it's Giacchino. Yeah, Speed Racer was also one of his. So it's one of his ones. One of those that he does a lot of animated stuff, but he's kind of been taking over some of the roles that uh, John Williams. Probably should be having, mm-hmm. but he's like focused on the new Star Wars series or that kind of thing. The big, the interesting thing is about that. Uh, even the ones that, like I said, the ones that I I have seen, like Zootopia, I don't remember much of the score, and I can guarantee that a good chunk of the general populace also doesn't really pay attention to the score. So it makes it where. All right, I'll put this question. Where do each of you, where does that line go of noticing the score and preferring to have it as the background that only slightly enhances what's going on screen? Because that's that's kind of a line. That's a weird line. I always like knowing it's there. I always, If it stands out, like something like Split stood out to me like immediately, I thought, holy crap, the, sound, the score is amazing. And I loved Split's score. But the movie wasn't great. I gave it a pass because of how great the score was. Or some of the movies that I'll mention today, the scores were absolutely phenomenal and fit with the movie, but at the same time, they're also really fun to watch or listen to. Like, these are the ones that I will listen to just on my iPod or my phone, I guess, um, when I'm writing or something like that. Uh when it's something like a John Williams, it's you get like that big one song with the themes and all that, and then you get this like really calm, and it's classical. Yeah, that's where Giacchino, Howard Shore, uh, a few others, you get that. But I, I really do like when when you notice the score and it feels like it's in place. If it's out of place, it's bad. So I guess I guess place, it's good. I guess the big thing I can say is, would you, do you prefer atmospheric or do you prefer it to feel like another character? It, that fully depends on the movie. If something like Farewell had another character that was the music, it wouldn't make any sense. Whereas, like, the movie I saw, Woman at War, where the music literally is another character in the movie, literally on screen playing the, the score, it worked. I just wish the movie was better. But <laughs> then there are movies where, like, Cloverfield, which, again, is Giacchino, um, it's nice that there is absolutely no score until the credits. <laughs> when he does the Because it's fitting. Because it's yeah. fitting. So if, but if they sh- had a score over top, it would defeat the purpose of the, the movie. The, the hand video, yeah. Handheld, this was a tape found in a wreckage type storyline going on. Or like if Blair Witch Project had this like really ominous music throughout it, it just wouldn't work. Well, the only thing I can think about that is that when, for that kind of stuff, like if you've got the music coming from some sort of supernatural beast as it 
comes up and it seems like it's almost emanating the music. But then again, that's kind of the... Yeah, but it... It's, does it yeah. fit with it? Like something like A Quiet Place that is all particularly that it's quiet or don't breathe where it's the the complete lack of score is a point that you realize that it is dead quiet here. There's not even like white noise going on. That can be great. But then like other times this big loud cacophonous score going on could add tension as well. So it, it, it depends on the mood. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. guess that's the best that's really the best answer I was gonna get. And I fully agree with Devin on that. It really depends. Mm-hmm. A big sweeping epic like Lord of the Rings, you need a big sweeping score like mm-hmm. Howard Shores Lord of the Rings. Like the like the old yeah. school operas and yeah. the old school concertos, all that sort of yeah. stuff. For something like uh E. T. you need a kind a very particular type of score. General Rings delivered that exact score. Mm-hmm. So and most people can or know the theme to E. T., even if you can't think of it off the top of your head. You hear it, you're like, "Oh, that's ET." So mm-hmm. that kind of thing, it like perfectly fits the movie. So absolutely, or of course, Star Wars, big sweeping epic needs big sweeping music. Uh, but then you have other movies like A Beautiful Mind or something like that that is about a single character. You get more nuanced, yeah, more nuanced, quiet score, which fits the movie perfectly. And then you get the opposite, which I'm. I'll jump into mine now because oh, you know what? That's not a bad place way yeah. to go into it. Um, so the first thing I want to say is this first is a group of five five composers. Uh, there's groups of composers for a few of them, but these are guys that have only done a certain amount of movies. I think they've done one or two scores each at max for for the most part, but they're ones that the scores are absolutely perfect in the context of the movie and. They are amazing to listen to otherwise. So the first one I'm going to point out is Daft Punk's Tron Legacy soundtrack. Yes. The techno hell themes all the way through that. Like you have Rinsler's theme. You have all these different, the same concept of anyone else, but it's done in a techno style. Mm-hmm. And driving like techno, futuristic, cyberpunk type sounding score. And it's just absolutely brilliant. And the thing is, they were brought in because they're music. Uh, if you don't know Daft Punk, go listen to like Discovery and a few other CDs. They're really good CDs. But they're known for just techno, and they took that took that inspiration and brought it into a, a movie that is basically inspired by that whole style. So it worked perfectly. I think the, the score for Tron Legacy, Tron Legacy itself, cool visuals. Iffy CGI at times, some really dumb decisions, but yeah, the score is one of the best things I've heard come out of movies in years. And that's where Daft Punk, it's the only score they've ever done other than their own weird, they did a, an hour long music video. But yeah, that whatever that one was with the blue skin, with yeah, the blue skin people. That, that was, was pretty weird, but it, it was fun though. But I think oh, Interstellar 5555. Yeah, uh, Daft Punk's just sure. a great score, and that's. Yeah. Like, that's the start of my my little segment here, because while big, big like, concerts and all that, one person in front of a keyboard can make a damn cool score. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's where Mike Shinoda and Joseph Trepanier, who did The Ruin, or The, the Ruin, that did The Raid, and uh, Joseph Trepanier then did Raid 2. That score is some of the coolest instrumentals. There's these, like, weird drums and just stuff going off randomly. It's chaotic as hell, just like the movie. Again, it fits. The biggest thing I can say for that, because you're talking, you're talking pretty much all a lot of ele- electronic music. That's yep. EDM, that kind of thing. Yeah. However, many people, <laughs> whether or not they do it ironically, diss EDM. I think it's great if you want, if you want to ratchet up the tension. Yeah, it is great because you can set you can set a a beat as regular as a heartbeat. And then have to work around that limitation. It's like, yeah. okay, I'm sending it at 110 beats a second with the drum kit. What do I do with this? Yeah. And yet the variety that they have with that, even combining themselves to that, is astounding. Yeah. Like if you listen to, particularly because Raid's a lot of fight scenes, if you listen to a couple of the fight scene songs, there are these hyper-intense action. The big one that comes to mind is the end one with Mad Dog against the brothers. Putting Mad Dog down. That whole that whole song is yeah. just 
Oh, it it ratcheted it up the entire time, yeah. and it feel like my heart's pumping. Yeah, and then the knife fight in the second one has a very similar type thing, and that's just Mike Shinoda, who's from uh, Lincoln Park and Fort Minor. Yeah, but I I absolutely love Lincoln Park, mm-hmm. and he brings a lot of a lot of the the style that Lincoln Park has, and like the the instruments. He brings that into the score. Yeah, because they were they were a weird fusion of 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 rock, some kind of metal, rap, and electronic. Yeah, like um, I'm a little surprised this isn't um, Han. Was it Joseph Han? I think. I think yeah. Uh, I'm a little surprised it's not him, and but instead of Mike Shinoda, but I don't know. It was just it thoroughly impressed me. Um, the other one that really impressed me, and is again another. EDM band, but Chemical Brothers. Uh, I don't remember their names, but the Chemical Brothers did Hannah, the soundtrack to Hannah, the the movie, and that is all just this driving, heavy beats and all that, and then it goes into this like really sweet operatic type stuff, and then it goes back into like the driving force, and then it goes into this kind of whimsical like, it's just this weird weird soundtrack that just kind of goes all over the place, but it's this really interesting driving soundtrack. You know what? That actually makes me think of one that kind of straddles that line. That's Tyler Bates. Yeah. Tyler Bates straddles that line because he's got some good electronic stuff or he works with people that do good yeah. electronic stuff. But he's also kind of the, I wouldn't say the classical, like, operatic or concert sort of thing, but he's definitely, will we'll get a few instruments and just have a nice soft beat and yet also have the pounding stuff. The big one that comes to mind is any of the John uh, John Wick movies. Yeah, like John's theme or like the the one I can think of a cute uh, a couple things where you just have that slow guitar with a nice deep bass that comes on. It's like I can almost tell you what part that come that comes in on, like Man of Focus from the second one, yeah. or Baba Yaga when you when he's about to first start showing why they shouldn't have messed with him. Yeah, like you hear that, just that theme for it and it's it stands out and then of course in the first one you've got the club scene which wasn't which wasn't Bates but was I can't remember who off the top of my head Castlevania no no uh, Red Castle or something like that yeah there's a different band that does that song but the decision to move that in instead of having like an action movie song playing yeah well the other very weird the other one is the, the the one they have in the basement think I can't remember the woman who sings it, but like you've got that while the while heavy action's going on, it's like, mm-hmm. what in the world is this? The dissonance yeah. is wonderful for it. Yeah. Uh, as far as moving with the EDM stuff, not really EDM, but Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails <laughs> and Atticus Ross, very similar to to Bates, I think. Yeah. With, like in that in that whole kind of genre. Yeah, but Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did uh, Gone Girl. Gone Girl, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and the one that I personally love, Social Network, mm. which I mentioned like something like Beautiful Mind, which is all focused on a guy and, you know, a quiet, smart guy. This is a quiet, smart guy, but you have this like unnerving, like everything feels really unhinged throughout this entire score. It's It's like reverberations, and you could never hum this in a million years, but it's this like just... It, everything in that movie is on edge and it's this really awkward, weird, like not awkward, just it's a really hard to describe soundtrack or score. It's reverberations. It's, you know, something's wrong, but at the same time, you're okay with it. You know what? You, you, you stumbled with your words there for a second. And I had to kind of want to ask you what, what is the difference between score and soundtrack? Uh, score is music made specifically for a movie conduct or uh, created by a composer. So John Williams or anything like that. Uh, Soundtrack is taking music either written for the the movie, such as any uh, musical or taking a song from the outside world and pulling it into the movie. So for example, a soundtrack could be like once which has fallen slowly in a bunch of these ones that were written for the movie. Or it could be like oh, Twilight. They yeah. used they used a whole bunch of songs outside, including Supermassive Black Hole by Muse. Yeah. They brought it in and slapped it in the scene. Or the one that I absolutely hate, Hellboy 2 or Hellboy Reboot 3. 
where they take a song by Muse called Psycho and slapdash edit it throughout the scene to make the portrait make it hyperactive and then it just kind of gets cut to pieces but yeah soundtrack is the muse the established songs or songs written for the movie and score is the classically designed music written for the movie if that makes sense it seems like it's a weird distinction but i know yeah. there is actually a distinction yeah, there's definitely a distinction you'll never see someone win best score for having a bunch of movies like you'll never see something like bohemian rhapsody win best score yeah Bohemian Rhapsody is a soundtrack. Or Baby Driver. Baby Driver is a soundtrack. As much as they use it like a score, it is a soundtrack. Uh, right. And the whole discussion about best use of soundtrack music, we'll get into that some other time. But Okay, no, but I, I just want to make the distinction because yeah. I don't think we did it at the beginning. Yeah. Though, Social Network and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo have two of the best uses of established songs Remade by the composer for the movie. Uh, in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, it's the immigrant song okay. um, as the opening. And Social Network is in the Hall of the Mountain King, redone by Trent Reznor. As an EDM song. <laughs> and it is song, one of which... the most intense scenes in the movie. And it's two twins rowing a boat. Yep. So, And I won't lie. like I heard it. I thought, like, we're going to a big fight. We're, gonna, yeah. we're going to a big brouhaha because it sounds like fight music. But, but yeah. I have a lot of respect for Trent Reznor, and I, I hope he gets more than just David Fincher movies. But the man's great musically. Like, yeah, he is an absolute genius. Yeah. And then the other one that I thought was a little bit less, like I didn't think he did as much as I I, I thought. Whatever. Um, guy's name is Tom Holkenborg. <laughs> That's, that's a, a name. that's a that's a Scandinavian name if ever I've heard one. Yeah, right? I think he's Norwegian or sorry, wherever you were born, Thomas Holden. Norwegia. Uh Born in Netherlands. Oh, so not Scandinavian. Just above Scandinavia. Just south of Scandinavia. Um so anyway, here's all the movies he's done. He's also known as Junkie XL. <laughs> Because I knew that Junkie XL did a couple of really good scores. I could only think of one. And then I realized, oh, he's been going as a different name as well. So first off, he did Terminator Dark Fate, which okay. was a really good score. Okay. He did Alita Battle Angel. Oh, that was, was an amazing, amazing score. That was amazing. Yes. He did Mortal Engines, which had a really cool score. He did the new Tomb Raider. Again, really cool score. He did the Dark Tower, which the score I don't remember because the rest of the movie was terrible. Um, he did Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, which had a good score. Uh, yeah, I don't remember hating that part of it. No, I I, I had other issues. Yes, yes. That, he did tactical. Deadpool. Okay. Wow. Okay. okay. Yeah, which that surprised me. He did the new Point Break, which the movie wasn't great. He yeah. did the new Black Mass, but the big one that I knew going into this is that he did Mad Max Fury Road. Ooh, and that is one of the coolest scores I've heard in a long time. Easily. He also did Amazing Spider-Man 2, Divergent, 300 Rise of an Empire, and it gets it gets Ouch. Okay. But, yeah, he's another one that started in that kind of trance, you know, EDM trance dubstep type okay. yeah. and somehow ended up in scores. Interesting. And it works. It works. It works really well. And it seems like such a departure from one style of music to that. You know what yeah. I mean? So, well, yeah, because most people think, mainly because of Williams, that... If you have a score for for a movie, it's got to be this big operatic con- concerto kind of thing. Yeah, you have to have like a fifty piece band with strings, violins, and an orchestra. Yeah, but no, he a whole lot of these he does very very small, like solo. So okay, yeah, but yeah, that's my group: Daft Punk, Mike Shinoda, Joseph Trepanier's, The Chemical Brothers, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, and Junkie XL, aka Tom Holkenborg. They're that name. Yeah. Hulk and Borg. Uh, but there are a bunch of composers that started in electronic rock, you know, the, the world of music, the world of music outside of film and then joined into film. It's just, there's been other ones that have done that. Stuart Copeland's one who I've, I really enjoy Stuart Copeland, but the other one, Danny Elfman. Yes. Not a whole lot of people know that he was the lead singer and composer Boingo, 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 Boingo. Love that's, uh, that band. 
That that's a band. Is, that is a damn good band. That's a band. They are. And fun Sons. thing is, is when I was a kid, one of my favorite movies to watch with my father was Back to School. And Oingo Boingo has an appearance in that movie. That's at a party that uh, is being thrown by. Um, why am I blanking on the actor's name? The comedian. No respect. Oh, Rodney Dangerfield. Thank you, Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. He is throwing a party at the at the dorm room that he happens to be sharing with his son. And Oingo Boingo is there. So, yeah. yeah. Danny Elfman's really good, actually. Absolutely. Now, you know what? It's not the main discussion, but I actually do want to bring up a couple that are not necessarily in film at all. Just okay. because of their, their works are on par with any of these film guys. Yeah. Specifically video games. Because what is a video game but a playable movie? True. Yeah. The big one, and it's funny that you said earlier that uh, Williams is basically the Beethoven of film scores. This guy's basically the Beethoven of video game music. All right. That's uh, Nobo Uematsu. That's the name. Yep. <laughs> that is. Mainly, you moan mainly from the Final Fantasy games. Okay. Up until ten, definitely, but I think he was there with twelve as well. But that man basically soloed. 95 to 99% of, of the music from Final Fantasy. Cool. So if you know a Final Fantasy song, it's because of that man. And he's just, he's been prolific on other stuff about that, but he, the main stuff is the, uh, the Final Fantasy, which isn't even his first stuff. He's, he's been around since, he's been doing music since 86, and he's a self-taught musician. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it, it honestly is. He has appeared five times in the top 20 of the annual Classic, classic FM Hall of Fame, which I assume is for video games. But, like I said, just the main Final Fantasy thing. We probably all heard it, especially from just just from advertisements and that such. But Couldn't pick it out if you tried, but sure. Yeah. I'll play it for you after about that. Yeah, I, I mean, that. Yeah. but no, it's like that man is to video games what Williams is to film. So I think I want. I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge him. All right, oh, that's definitely fair. For but sure. the other to go back to to pull away from the modernistic sort of thing, and yet not entirely, Hans Zimmer. Mm. All right, I almost mentioned him earlier, but yeah. Hans Zimmer is, he's kind of the new, the new, like, popular uh, composer. Yeah, he, he's definitely got, he's definitely had some interesting, uh, interesting stuff. He's been involved, the big one that comes to mind is actually Dark Knight. Yeah, Dark Knight exploded him onto the scene. I think he was doing stuff before that with, if I remember correctly, Pirates of the Caribbean was partially him. Lion King. Lion King? Lion King. Oh, yep, oh. Lion King. Uh, he had Gladiator. Gladiator, right? Yeah, Crimson Tide. But no, he, uh, he, the big, the big ones people now know: Inception and Interstellar. Yeah, that Inception's was the one that has changed the game as far as movie trailers go. Uh, it was large. That's right. He did the Last Samurai too. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of just a lot of stuff, and he definitely does have. The that old that that classical feel that Shore Williams did, but he's also got some of the experimental stuff. Like the big one that comes to mind is the Joker stuff from Dark Knight. Yeah, playing a violin, I believe, or a cello with razor blades. Yeah, as a musician, that hurts my soul. Yeah. True story. But as a listener, my God, that hurts my ears. <laughs> that is. True. It is. It is unique. You know instantly that something's not right. Yep. And yet everything is perfectly fit. Yeah, just like uh, the whole score to Social Network, you just know something's off. <laughs> you don't know that. how. Yeah, you just know that something's off and it's all the music. So. Yeah, it, and that's the thing. You don't even need you don't even need any characters. You can literally have just that, just the scene happening. Like, any spoken word. You can literally have that scene happening with the music and Something's kind of cockeyed. Yeah. Another movie that does that really well is Glass and Split. 
do an amazing job of just making you uneasy from the beginning with all mm-hmm. the music. Absolutely. Glass's kind of metronome type like score mixed with the chaotic as hell score. The the metronome theme for Mr. Glass and the chaotic theme for the Split. Legion uh, yeah. for the Kevin Wendell Crumb's character. McAvoy. Is, yeah. It's just a really cool back and forth between this like perfectly ordered and absolute chaos. So, but kind of to, to, to kind of showcase Zimmer who also did work a little bit with Klaus Bedelt on the first pirate movie, the curse of the black pearl, the, the fact that he can go from something like that as well as, you know, to dark Knight to inception to Rhoda to El Dorado, which is that grand sweeping adventure. And, and even from that, he can also do uh, a league of their own, which is that classic uh, Take me World, out War, game. World War II Americana. You know. And actually, oh wait, no, was he the one? I think I, I think Zimmer was also the one that did Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Which is also that one where it's got you got that frantic. That was that was it. That was the one where they did horrible things to a piano. Yes. To get that yeah. rinky tink sound. Yep. And like I said, it's like it's that experimental stuff where you wouldn't think Let's do. Let's basically break this piano. But he had a sound in mind. He had a sound. It's like I don't. I don't see Williams doing that. No, I. I see Williams figuring out how to do it on an instrument, not breaking an instrument to do it. Yes. So. <laughs> Two different schools of thought. Yeah. And I won't lie. I kind of prefer Simmers. <laughs> yeah. He also did Inception as well. I think I mentioned that one, so that's definitely stellar. Yeah, yeah, that that one's definitely one of the big ones now. Yeah, Dunkirk, which had yeah an unbelievable score. Yes. The trailer for Dunkirk it got stayed you. like that through the entire movie. Oh um, my god, yeah. I'm gonna have a heart attack now when I watch it. Yeah, that tense, and, uh, again, almost metronomic. And I've also, I've also found that a lot of the scores that stick with me have that kind of they've got. A particular beat they're going for. It's yeah. not. It's not the frantic thing, but it's the consistent, like, like you said, Devin. I I also love the the the, the trance EDM sort of stuff because they pick a beat and go with it. Yeah. And because they pick a specific beat and don't deviate from that, as such, I find I find myself syncing up with that easier. Yeah. Where sometimes with the long, grandiose stuff that Williams and Shore tend to do. I get emotionally invested, but I don't physically get invested. Yeah. Uh, Later Runner 2049 was also one of his. I have not seen that, that one yet. That score is phenomenal. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. But what about you, Tom? What's a couple of other groups? So for me, growing up, one of the biggest ones had to have been Alan Lincoln. Okay. Uh, because besides just coming up with you know, those catchy 90s Disney songs that everybody loves to sing to. He also had the instrumental music that went along with all of that for those films. Yeah, I can think of... I, Disney's definitely one of those ones where I could think of more than just the theme. Yeah, yeah. Disney's definitely... Uh, They're musicals. I mean, because yeah. think of Little Mermaid, you get, what, five songs out of there that you actually have lyrics to. Same thing with, like, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast. Uh, there's, like seven, eight songs that you might get the song, the actual lyrics for out of, but in all actuality, there's so much more going on in between all of that that gets put together. And he does such a great job of being able to do that. And you still have this feeling that you can come back to every time you hear it. Yeah. And no matter what one of those movies that you watch, you always sit there and say, man, you know, I can either feel the tension of the uh, villain coming out at me right now, and I'm afraid, I should be afraid right now because the villain's there, or all of a sudden, the hero's going to win, I'm so excited, this is like the greatest thing ever, he's here, finally, you know, the sun is shining again. I could say that. And that's one of the biggest things that... It was definitely a part of my childhood, I don't know that much. And... Having, for me, Aladdin was one of the biggest ones. Mm, yeah. And having heard both the stage musical as well as the movie musical, 
the soundtracks are incredible and it makes me sad that certain parts were cut out and story was changed for the movie that we don't get but that's okay because either way it goes it's a great product so okay beyond that i mean that that's my probably my biggest one that i can think of offhand all right cool uh one that i want to mention and he's gotten some oscar love here but he's a young dude too um is a guy named Stephen Price. Okay. You know, I can't place the name, but I'm sure once you start listing off what he's done, um, I'll instantly. The two big ones that... First off, the first one I heard him in, heard his music in, was Attack the Block. Uh, okay. okay. A fun little British sci-fi movie. That's starring right. That's the current, the current Doctor Who. Um, he also did Fury with Brad Pitt. Okay. I need to see that. Such movie. a good movie. So good. But the two that stood out were World's End, okay. by Edgar Wright, uh, which has this really cool score that about halfway through they go from a soundtrack of like the songs that Gary King used to listen to mm-hmm. to this almost futuristic techno score. Again, that kind of kind of style. Um, but it's just all, it gets more and more chaotic the drunker they get, which is kind of <laughs> great. But the other one that he deserves credit for and he got an Oscar win for is Gravity. The score to Gravity is unbelievable. And it's this very, very subtle soundtrack. and very Or very, very subtle score that throughout the entire thing you don't quite realize is there. But it's always this little nagging feeling behind you. Almost that you ethereal. Know that something, is, something is off through the entire movie. And you don't realize that there is two and a half, or if it's an hour and a half or a two hour movie, there are two two hours full of solid score that is that building is, and dropping. Building that's actually kind of rare. And yeah, building and dropping, building and dropping, and like while Sandra Bullock is being, is like not paying attention, it's still there kind of humming in the background. And then when she looks and sees something or it almost changes, it's also the this is where sound mixing of the score in with the the movie is really like perfect. The levels. Yeah. Because this score moves in and out of the movie in such an effortless way. It is a score that I I listen to every once in a while if I need that like blank mind, like need to get away from stuff. It is an absolutely perfect score. That's where Stephen Price is one that I, I feel doesn't get a whole lot of love. And he is an up-and-comer, brilliant, brilliant composer. The other is Daniel Pemberton, who, again, is not a household name, but he did uh, the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is the big one that he's been known for now. He also did a couple of my favorites in... If I can pull it up here. He did Molly's Game, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword... Steve Jobs and Man from Uncle. He has the yeah really cool hip hip music kind of. The Man from Uncle. I remember the soundtrack. The the, the score being very yeah, good. For absolutely. It. Almost everything that Guy Ritchie does has a great score. But um, Man from Uncle and particularly uh, King Arthur: Legend of the Sword. The movie wasn't great. The music was. But amazing. the music and even some of the cinematography was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, the score absolutely. was great, and it had a great original song. Yeah. Like Devil and the Hunter, I want to say the, name, the title yeah. was, and it like yeah, the whole the music for it was phenomenal. Shame that rest of the movie didn't quite hold up, yeah. but that's where that's where Daniel Pemberton he has amazing scores in movies that just aren't 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 all that great. So I hope that, that happens he, a lot more than we like to think. Yeah, though I hope he takes that that unbelievable skill he has and kind of gets a break, gets a break on a movie that's huge, and everyone kind of realizes that oh, this guy's amazing. Yeah, it goes from there. You know what? I'll I'm gonna bring up one more myself before I actually want to finish this up with a talk of a certain of an interesting subject, and that is I want to bring up Harry Gregson Williams. All right, he's done a decent amount of movies: uh, Phone Booth, Man of Man on Fire, Chronicles of Narnia. He did he did the first one, Lion Witch of the Wardrobe. Okay, he also did X Men Origins Wolverine. The Martian and the Shrek franchise. The big part that I know him from, though, is actually the Metal Gear Solid games. 
never actually played any Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, same. They're fun. Uh, stealth action. Yeah. Tactical espionage. Yeah. He came in on number two and was there for three, four, and five. Two and three were the big ones that he that I remember from because his his score for those was amazing, like the whole way through. Except for Fortune's theme, she can screw right off. Oh, quiet. Jazz sax. I don't care for it. But it's he's got a very good uh, good modern kind of feel to it. It's not the it's not necessarily getting rid of the orchestra, but he definitely does a lot of Kind of like Xamar does a lot of the interesting stuff with them. Yeah. Okay. But the the subject I actually want to talk about is the subject of temp music. Okay. I think we brought this up when we were talking about the we mentioned editing. it during we mentioned it during our editing episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for those not in the know, uh, temp music is quite often music that is brought in to temporarily fill the void before they actually have actual score. Um, so an editor might bring in a temp song or literally a song from a different movie, edit, knowing that that's going to be the basic idea of what the music's going to be. Then they hand it off to the composer, who then says, who then is told, be like the temp music, and they go from there. Sometimes the editor liter- or the composer literally just copies the temp music. Looking <laughs> at you, Marvel. Marvel is... Up until the last few movies, we're pretty bad about that. Up until, I think, Black Panther. Transformers, too. Transformers yes. is terrible about that. Like, absolutely yeah. crap. A lot of the large blockbusters, you'll notice, have kind of forgettable. I don't, for the most part, other than maybe some of Spielberg's big things, we haven't mentioned a single, like, big blockbuster. Like, we haven't mentioned the Transformers or Marvel or any of these, because most of their scores aren't super memorable because they're they, unique they'll yeah, they're feel unique. unique and that's where no. temp music is a problem when you've got a when you've got a big budget you don't care and you also don't realize oh hey you know what music is actually kind of important you slap yeah. it together yeah and and, and the, there's a big point that actually i remember seeing an interview with a bunch of with a bunch of composers including danny elf and i think i don't think it was williams but maybe sure but a, a bunch of the, the big players they just say how they absolutely despise temp music. Yeah. Because, <laughs> with good reason, because it stifles creativity. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you would never get some of, like, my list of five in the beginning, you would never get some of that super weird... Experimental, like, almost. Imagine Mad Max Fury Road with temp music. Like, that's just, that is some of the most weird, intense, off-the-wall score that I've ever heard. I'd even say, I'd even say something like John Wick. Could you imagine John Wick with temp music? Yeah, doesn't necessarily work. It yeah. it sounds like a nightmare, is what it sounds like. Or like Lord of the Rings. Ugh. Yeah, imagine that with with some of the the, the modern blockbuster tough music. Yeah, it would have it would not have been half of what it was. Look, it is a legitimate strategy while editing. Sure, I've yeah. done that too. I've thrown in a, a soundtrack song and been like, okay, it kind of needs this beat. It needs to be this long. You know, it gets edited and cool done. I get the feel almost. Then you can send it over to a composer and say, don't copy this, make it your own, here's the edit. That's still saying it needs to be this long, it needs to be that. And that's why someone like John Williams is already working on Indiana Jones 5, whatever the one is. Yeah. Like, he's already working on a movie that comes out in a year. Like, he's already working on it, he's going to give you it, you cut around his score. He doesn't cut around your poorly edited scene. And... One of the other things is to, if, for those who don't know, there are many composers who listen, who when they're writing their music and are working on their music, will actually have on the screen or on a screen behind them, a, the thing that's going on, so that way they have reference to what the music is going, is emoting while it's going to be on screen. Yeah. So they have, so they know. Yeah, they got, they're not, they're not doing it in a void. Exactly. So that way people like John Williams and uh, Howard Shore and, you know, people like that, they know exactly what's going on. They are incredibly engaged in the full project. Yeah. If you want a a great behind-the-scenes feature, and I pimped this probably every single time we mentioned some kind of behind-the-scenes role, 
Appendices, Lord of the Rings. Yes. Or King Kong. The behind the scenes go from start to finish. And they go through Howard Shore wrote the wrote the score for Lord of the Rings. And it is mind-blowing mm-hmm. how he wrote it. How he knew every character's theme. How he knew everything. How he put it all together. How he had Sam's come yeah. in. Gollum's come in. And then Frodo's come in. All in the same scene. Yeah, that... Then mm-hmm. that is yeah. that man's magnum opus without question. Absolutely. I do not see how he could how he could top that. But yeah, it's so if you've ever wondered why a lot of modern blockbusters sound very samey and forgettable soundtrack wise, score wise, yeah. that's it. Yep. That's 100%. everyone everyone's piggybacking off of the off of everybody yep. else's. They have mm-hmm. little changes and sure we get the occasional like Avengers theme, but mm-hmm. nobody knows what Ant Man's theme is. And nope. he has a theme. Yeah. Captain I, America definitely has a theme. And Iron Man definitely has a theme. But yeah, the rest of them... <laughs> Iron Man's theme is the entire backlog of ACDC songs. Yeah. Pretty much. Back in Black, most notably. Yeah. Or Iron Man by the other one. Anyway. Yeah. But... Yeah. No, that... Yeah, I just wanted to bring attention to that because it's... I think it's starting to curtail, but it's definitely a pretty bad epidemic that had been infecting a decent amount. Yeah. yeah, and it's also a big part of what we're talking about anyways. I mean, it's at it's the useful. very least at the very least it can start off as a very useful tool for it's somebody. It's useful as a tool, but unfortunately people then think, "Oh, hey, you know, or what can also be the problem is that the person who's editing likes the likes gets used to the sound that they're editing to." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they say, "Hey, that's perfect. Don't mess with that." And then the person, the composer's kind of holding the bag. Like, oh, why'd you bother with me then? Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, that's our our podcast about scores and composers. Uh, we have, there's plenty of other composers we could talk about. Alexander Desplat, Thomas Newman, Alan Silvestri. We can go on and on about different composers. We but, could. Absolutely. Uh, we barely talked about Clark Fidel, but he's I mentioned them yeah. as well. But yeah, that's all of our composers, our score talk. Uh, we'll eventually get around to doing soundtrack. Probably not next week. No, 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 no. But but we will. But yeah, because that's a whole other issue. Yeah, that's yeah. a whole other issue. And if it's done well, cool. If not done well, sometimes still cool. All right. So, um, in but, fact, speaking of next week, we may be taking a small break for the week because it is the holiday week. Yeah. We'll so probably take next week off. Um, just make it easier. Yeah. Just make it easier. Several um, of a, a couple of us have. Uh, some stuff where we're just not available. So, yeah, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Um, Hopefully we've seen some more movies than we did this week. Yes. Probably. Uh, As always, this has been In The Can Podcast. I'm Devin. I'm John. I'm James. They never get it right. (laughs) You keep changing it, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Have a nice couple of weeks. Have a nice Thanksgiving for those of you in America. Hopefully your Thanksgiving for nice for those in uh, not... Happy Turkey Day. Nope. All right. Go see more movies. See you in December. Take care.